thrilled that you're here. Exodus 6, and starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of, this country, out of his country. God also said to Moses, I'm the Lord, or Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you. Catch that phrase. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I'll take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a, as a possession. I am Yahweh. This will make sense here in a bit. Now let's go over to the right, to Romans 3, and let's look at the section we've been focusing on over the last few weeks. Romans 3, starting in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Okay, two long texts and why. If you missed it, last week's hugely important because we're looking at four key terms that you see in the Bible that Paul uses to visually describe what God has done in Jesus. And I want you to get these four because they're like pillars of a foundation of your faith. And sometimes we read it and we go like, yeah, and if you've been following Jesus for a while or had a Bible, you'd ask, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, what does it actually mean? Yeah, and you just keep reading, Right. We just assume we know what it means. And I, I don't want any of you to miss any of what God has done. Four terms we looked at two last week. Righteousness, justification, redemption, and atonement. If you're new to seeking Jesus or coming to church, these may seem, seem complicated. 
but they're actually not. They're word pictures. And I just want to draw out the picture and then apply what that means for us in the here and now. Now, we looked last week. Righteousness means in the right. God is in the right. Therefore, he is righteous. He never does wrong. And so the second one, though, we saw last week has to do more with us. God is righteousness. God has righteousness. God is always right. I'm not. Sometimes I'm off. And if I want to be with God, I need to go on God's terms. I need to be where God is. So God justifies us. He declares. We saw the courtroom scene. Paul pulls on a first century picture. You're in court and the judge finds that, yes, you are guilty. But the judge can say, I'm going to extend grace. You are now in the right. So for us, the picture applies to life in God. Of course, I'm filled with all sorts of mixed bag, some good, some evil, some blessing, some curse. I'm, I'm, I'm a mixed bag. God is not. He's pure and holy and loving. There's none like him. But God can declare, Jose, you can join my family. You can be in my space. I want to do life with you, which is God's heart. And the way he does that is he justifies us. So words paint a picture. The other two we're going to begin to look at, redemption and atonement. But I want us to see that word pictures are important to be put together. So I'm going to throw a word picture literally on the screen called love. Do you see it? Maybe not. Is there? Okay. Holy nervousness. It is there, right? Okay. So what do you see there? What's the word? What you don't see is this is a photo mosaic. And because the screen's so big, it's hard to catch it. This is actually a picture of pictures. It's not a drawing. It's thousands of pictures that when put together creates a mosaic. So you can look at the small pictures or you can choose to zoom out and see the big picture. The big picture here is love. But that love can be described by multiple smaller pictures. And what I want to say is that when I read the scriptures, when I think about God, there are lots of small pictures that feed into the big picture. God is love. And God wants you to know what love is like. In other words, he wants you to know what he is like. And in order to do that, he gives us smaller pictures. We're going to look at one of them. We were going to do redemption and atonement, and I clocked it at 90 minutes. No, and I'm not kidding. And I love you. Ah. So we're going to do one today and the next one next week. Redemption, verse 24. Romans 3:24. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and all are declared to be in the right freely by God's grace through the, and then there's this word, redemption that came by the Messiah, who is Jesus. What does that mean? I, am, I, I need to be made right. God declares me to be right. How can God do that? When I'm full of sin, God can't just say, I didn't see it. That wouldn't be just. It would pull him out of the right. And that's not going to happen. So what God does is through redemption, he can say to you, it's just as if you are in the right with me. So we're going to unpack what is redemption. Write down this definition. Redemption is bringing captives out of slavery into freedom. The biblical picture of redemption is not getting five cents for your can, right? That's, it's not like, oh, I, I return it and I get money. No. The biblical picture 
is bringing captives who are enslaved now into freedom. Now, because the Bible wasn't written originally in English, it was written in Greek, sometimes we saw last week that righteousness and justification have the same root, the same letters in the middle, so they're closely connected. There's another word close to redemption, and it's called ransom. So redemption is apolistrosis. Ransom is listron. The list is the, is the middle root that connects both words. Now you're saying, Jose, you already lost me. That is okay. I am paid to bring you back, okay? You may be lost, but you're coming back. Why are redemption and ransom connected? I'll show you. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10. Jesus speaking. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant or slave. And whoever wants to be first must be the doulos, the slave of all. For even, now Jesus speaking of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, how? And to give his life as a listron, as a ransom for many. Redemption, ransom, has everything to do with taking someone who's in captivity and doing what it takes to set that slave free. So Jesus says, my role, Jesus is picking up on the story of the Bible, my role is to bring redemption. How am I going to bring redemption? I'm going to ransom you. I'm going to bring you out, those who are held captive. Now, slave, those who want to be great must become like a slave. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. So what's the, what's the lingo? When I say slave, unfortunately, we're thinking of our version of slavery, which is evil. In the last few hundred years, the last few thousand years, there's been slavery, how we think about it is, I'm living in my land, you come and you take me against my will and bring me somewhere else and force me to work for you. That's slavery, right? Or you take me out of my home and you sell me to someone else, which is evil. That is not the picture of what's happening when Jesus is talking about slavery and when Paul's talking about slavery. Now, there's all sorts of variations, but they had a form of slavery which was allowable. Here's what happened. There was no credit in the first century. You couldn't go to the bank and get a loan. Say hallelujah because then you couldn't get in debt. So some people did get in debt. Here's what happened. You're, you're agricultural and you borrowed some money for, to plant some new crops. You borrowed some seed. To, and I'm going to pay you back and I'm going to give you some food and I'm going to give you some seed. But then a storm destroys your crop. How do I pay you back? Not a credit society. I'm broke. I can't feed my family. You could become a slave. I could put myself into servanthood. The form of slavery that Jesus is inferring and Paul is inferring here isn't the evil stuff that we were talking about. Many people were slaves in the first century. That is, they owed a debt. So I put myself, and I say to you, I owe you, but I'm going to work for you for two years. You're the master. I'm now a servant. Now, they had better rights, and they were often treated with respect and care because it often, not always, often was temporary. I'm paying a debt. I want you to catch this. Redemption is about being stuck in debt. Ransom is about freeing from indebtedness at the heart of it. 
So Jesus comes to take people. That's why when Paul talks about redemption, when Jesus talks about redemption, everyone knows what they're talking about because so many people are engulfed in a, I can't get out. Ever feel that way? How in the world am I going to get out of this? And I'm not just talking about financial. You're just stuck, and I don't know what to do. Well, Jesus came to pay the ransom to liberate you and bring you to freedom, which is why we looked at Exodus 6. When Paul is talking about ransom as a picture, remember, small pictures, the big picture is God is love. The small picture is redemption. Exodus 6 is what, what, what Paul is pulling on because there was no greater story of rescue than the story of God rescuing slaves that he loved. If you've never read Exodus, the story of God coming in and bringing a people to freedom. Exodus 6, 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will what? Redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So God is going to take a people who are stuck and unstuck them. He's going to free them. He's going to liberate them. Why? Because he loves them. Catch that. Love is the motivating drive for God to see us and set us free. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. When we get to the end, we're going to apply this. But write that down. Underline it. The purpose of redemption is freedom. The point of freedom is to know God and to love God and follow God and worship God. It is not to do your own thing. So God gives us. Sometimes they're like, why, why the story of these people? Because God is building his case for thousands of years God is the master artist, and what he does is he already knows he's sending his son, Jesus. So hundreds of years prior, thousands of years prior, God is working in human history and gives us this episode that is a picture of what is to come fully when he sends his own son. And here's the picture. God's people that he loved were under the oppression of an oppressor. And they could not get out. Israel was enslaved. Remember the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Joseph and his family, they grow. And all we know, how did they get into slavery? Did they get into debt? We don't know. All we know is that Pharaoh, the leader, a new leader, became jealous and nervous that this growing people, uh, people who, who worship this Yahweh, who worship this God, not like their gods, was flourishing. So somehow over time, they became servants. Maybe it was temporary to start. All we know is 400 years later, they're still enslaved and it goes from bad to worse. So God hears their cry and says, I'm going to pull you out. You need to know this. Israel couldn't get themselves unstuck. They couldn't get themselves out. But God could and God would because redemption is always about freeing those who are in captivity and bringing them into freedom. So God, in the story of Israel, pulls them out with a mighty hand. In other words, it's not like, oh, wow, how do we find a way under the fence? 
Oh, wow, how did we dupe Egypt and get our way? It was very clear, read Exodus, that only God could do this kind of thing. Why would God so vividly give us the story? Because of what he's going to do in his son, Jesus. So because of the history of redemption, over centuries, people started to give God names. My wife has multiple names to my kids. It's mom. On her passport, it's Carmen. I would tell you her middle name, but she would kill me. Uh, and, and she has, and, and I, for me, it's babe or hun or, mm. well, you know, like she has names. She has multiple. So God has multiple names. I want you to read this. Psalm 19, verse 14. Clean your mind, by the way. Um, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart, listen, be pleasing in your sight, Yahweh, which is his name. And then the psalmist gives two more names. My rock. Where'd the rock come from? Don't think Dwayne Johnson. Like, where, where's the rock? The desert. They had no water to drink. God brought water from a rock, which always happens, right? No. But when they saw water from the least likely place, God is a redeemer. We're in a desert. We're captive to desert. But God is a rock. And he's a redeemer. He pulled them out of Egypt into life. Now, over time, the metaphor of redeemer gets applied to all sorts of places. I'm going to give you just one. Many places, though. Psalm 137 and 8. Israel, put your hope in Yahweh. For with Yahweh is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Okay? Releasing of captives from slavery, freedom. He himself will redeem Israel from what? All their sins. Okay, that's kind of different. They're in Egypt for all sorts of reasons, captive, but the concept that not only are there places where we need redemption, there are spaces where we need redemption. And so the psalmist, as they begin to think about the heart of God, realize what keeps me from freely walking with God? Actually, it's my own sinfulness, but Yahweh can set me free from my sins. Only, only Yahweh can get Israel out of Egypt. Only Yahweh can change the heart. Do you catch that? So it builds over time. Now, this Psalm 130 is the backdrop. This, this idea, which they have been reading for hundreds and hundreds of years, the New Testament writers are not making stuff up. They just read the Bible. They read the scriptures, and now in light of Jesus, they're like, oh, what God was hinting, he's now made clear. So redemption. What are we redeemed from? What, what, are, what does redemption mean like in the real world? Well, at least three things. There are many more. But I'll just start with three. We are redeemed from sin. We saw it in Psalm 130. But look at Romans 6, 6-7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, the body ruled by sin. The metaphor of Israel stuck under an oppressive power is the picture of life in 2017. Stuck. Can't get unstuck 
from my own sinfulness. So that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I want to get to this in Romans 6, and we'll look at it in detail, but I'll give you the short version. What does redemption mean? The moment Israel leaves Egypt and under the power of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is destroyed, they are no longer citizens of Egypt. They are now citizens of God himself. They belong to God. It's as if they had a new life. They were, they were in the desert. They're no longer in Egypt. They're on, on their way towards the land of promise. They're no longer in Egypt. So from the moment of God's deliverance, the people are really free to worship God, not held back anymore by the old. All of that is not, this, is, this really happened in history. God's not making stuff up, but he's allowing history to tell his story of the bigger redemption in your world. And here's what it is. The moment you're in Christ, Paul's going to apply this out. The old you is dead. Say dead. Dead. There is a new you. Same DNA, same body, same language, same person that you see. But I am not the same. The moment I express faith in Jesus Christ, I am made now alive to God. So I am alive, but now I'm not controlled by this old person, this old power, this old world. I am really free. I want you to catch this. To become a follower of Jesus is not becoming a better you. So the, the good news of Jesus is in contrast and in conflict with today's mindset. You're great. You're awesome. You have potential. And what you need to do is become the best you possible, which sells a boatload of junk. You don't need a better you. You need God to rescue you from you and become a new person under his leadership. We don't need a better person. We need a whole new person. In order to be in the right with God, this old, sin-encapsulated person must be dealt with. And what God does, he's like, I'm not going to make a better you. I'm going to make a new you, filled now with my spirit so that you can follow me. Huge. That's just one application. Let's look at another one. Because we're redeemed, we are redeemed from condemnation. Look at Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Messiah Jesus because through the Messiah Jesus, the law of the Holy Spirit give, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Again, we're not going to tease this out completely, but I want you to catch this. Romans 6. This person before Jesus is now gone, but I'm alive. Now I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Therefore, Pharaoh has no claim on my life. The enemy has no claim on my life. Why? That person doesn't exist anymore. I am now in Jesus and Jesus is in me 
Now, what, what does it have to do with us? It says everything to do with how we walk in the liberty and freedom that God has given us. Whenever my mind traipses back to what I did apart from Jesus, what comes up at the end? Guilt and shame and regret. But Paul says to brothers and sisters like us, there you, are, you have been liberated from the old person. Did it happen? Yes. Are there consequences that are longstanding? Of course. Let's just say you... Before following Jesus, you were involved in all sorts of relationships and produced all sorts of children. Are those children still your responsibility now that you're in Jesus? Yes. But you, should you feel shame about who you used to be? Absolutely not. You are not condemned. In, in God's sight, he sees the new person that is filled with the spirit of Jesus. He sees himself in you. And in light of that, we need to think about what we think about. And whenever I am tempted to live in the old, I have to remind myself, wait a minute, God set me free. So why in the world would I, and this is going to be Paul's rationale why sin makes no sense. When I was there, that made sense, right? But now that I'm here in Jesus, it makes no sense to go back to that old junk. That person no longer exists to God. You are a new person in Jesus. It sounds too good to be true, but it's true. So part of growth in becoming a Jesus follower is recognizing that there are two yous. The person you used to be before Jesus, and now there's you in Jesus. You are not condemned. He has set you free. Now, how did he do this? The third dimension, and there's lots more, but I'm limiting it, is he has redeemed us from darkness. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We don't like to talk about it because if we can't smell it, taste it, put it under a microscope, most of us don't believe it. We're skeptical. But Paul's not living, Jesus isn't living in that worldview. There are all sorts of powers at work in the universe and there are powers that are under the leadership of the Creator, and there are powers that have rebelled against the leadership of the Creator. And this is what he says, whether you choose to believe it or not, if you read this for what he meant, before Jesus, you were under the power of the enemy. Pharaoh ruled your world. The enemy, using it as a metaphor, the enemy against God, Pharaoh in Egypt was ruthless and horrific and needed to be judged. But they were under the power. And so in the same way, you and I, before coming alive to Jesus, you were under the power and the influence of everything that is rebellious to the life and heart of God. So you don't need a better you. You need a new you. And so what Paul says is you've been rescued from that dominion, those principalities and powers that are controlling you, you've been pulled out and brought into the kingdom. Do you see how Exodus makes sense? They were under the kingdom of Pharaoh and Egypt, and they were brought into the kingdom of God. So these aren't just fluffy stories. God, who is the master of the prequel, people think that prequels, that's kind of a new idea. It's God's idea. God writes the story before the story. So while you're reading the story, you see what happened beforehand. So you see where he's headed. Now, 
if I've been redeemed from sin and redeemed from condemnation and redeemed from, from darkness, does, that doesn't mesh with my life. Jose, I am sinning right now. Everything you said sounds great, but that's like not where, maybe that's where you live. That's not where I'm living. I'm still doing this. Okay, I need you to see this. God took them out in a decisive moment. He brought them out. And then he brought them towards the land of promise, right, which took them time to get there. And God was dealing with them the entire time until the moment where he brought them to the land of his blessing, land of his favor, the land where they're supposed to thrive with God. They didn't just show up there. God took them by the hand to where they would be. Hear me. Yes, you and I do sin. We stumble, we fall. But God sees you. This is a mind twister. Work with me. He sees you now and later. He sees you here and he sees you in the future. God already knows who you have become in Jesus. Which is why he's not condemning you because he knows God has the power to get you out of Egypt, to bring you through the desert and into the land of promise. And if he can do that for hundreds of thousands of people, he can take you home. God sees you. Yes, now. And so he offers real forgiveness. Which is why on the mountain, they get the Torah, the words of God on how to live in the here and now as they await who they will become. God is giving you the freedom, the ability to love and follow him and, and grow in his ways. And when we stumble, and we're going to see it in the atonement next week. When we stumble, there is absolute real forgiveness. But God already sees the future and he knows who you are in eternity. And God will get you there. Which is way better than saying, man, if I hold on to the end, maybe Jesus has space for me. The good news is God already created that spot and he will get you home. Now, this means Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is the one who ransoms us, who brings us out and brings us to the kingdom of God. But how does that happen like really? God hasn't left this up to chance. And I wanted to do this in one setting, but it's, it's, if, if you thought redemption is a little complex, think about atonement. We're, we're going to come. Just read, I dare you to read Leviticus 16 and not say, what? I just dare you. Leviticus 16 is where we're going to look next week to find that God provides a real way for you to be made really right. Verse 25, Romans 3. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there. These are big concepts, and I get it. I want to throw the picture back on the screen from where we started because how do I tease out redemption? Where does this fit in the big picture story? By the way, a reminder, February 19th, because this is so important, we're doing this on Sunday in pieces, and we're going to pull it together, and Steve Marshman is going to be leading us in our next study on February 19th from 1 to 3 in the room over there. 
on salvation and how it all works. We're going to put the pieces of the puzzle back together. But I want you to see the big picture is love. God really loves you. The reason he gives us the picture of redemption is because God has been working since before time began to bring you back. You think God is surprised when we go off? Think of how surprised God must be. Look, I can't believe he lusted today. I just can't believe that. How could that happen? He's not surprised by any of our junk. He's made away. So his love is demonstrated through his righteousness and through justification and now through redemption and through the atonement and so much more. I want you to see that these words aren't just random terms. They make up the mosaic, which is the love of God. And God chooses to show you his love. Now, how do I receive redemption? This is where the picture is so helpful. Israel could not get themselves out of Egypt. So what does God do? He speaks his word and he sends Moses. And Moses tells the people, this is what Yahweh is going to do. Listen and follow him. So he tells Moses, he's going to judge sin for sure. And the whole world is going to know that God is in the right and everyone else who's against him is in the wrong. And it's going to cost life. But Moses, you tell the people to take a lamb that is perfect and slaughter that animal and put the blood over the doorpost of your house and get in the house. Do not leave the house. And when the angel of death comes at night, this is no fairy tale. When death comes at night, it will see the blood over the doorpost of your house and it will pass over you. Moses, tell the people there is a way of escape and there's a way of life and there's a way of freedom. Listen and follow. And in the same way, Israel is saved by grace through faith. This is not of works so that no human being can boast before God. It's always been grace. It's always been faith. And so now the same can be said for you and me. Trusting Jesus is the means by which I receive the grace of God when I hear the word of God and I follow God in the person of Jesus. I'm set free. What am I saying? Redemption is yours. Freedom from condemnation. Liberty. Really having the powers of the evil one broken over your life. It's all in Jesus and you receive it by listening and trusting. But know this. Some of you need to be redeemed. I am convinced throughout the series in Romans, many good church-going people are going to actually experience life in Jesus and be born again. I'm not here to make you doubt anything, but I do doubt that some of you are actually following Jesus. I don't say it as a condemnation. I don't know your heart. I'm not going to judge you. But as you hear the truth, you're going to feel the Spirit of God stirring in your soul. You've been playing around. Now it's time to experience life. And at the moment you hear God's voice speaking to your soul, you say, here I am. I'm listen, and I'm going to trust you. It is always by grace. Always through faith. Now, for those of us who have been redeemed, what does this mean for us in the real world? Paul teases out these big pictures 
with practical action. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? Verse 17 to 18, before then, he says, stop sleeping around. Why? Not because Christians are prudes and God wants to keep you from fun. No. The reason that we don't sleep around is our bodies don't belong to us. God redeemed us. You are not your own. You were ransomed. You were bought at a price. That doesn't mean that you're a slave to an evil dictator. It means that the debt that we had was so great, God paid it for us. And in response to his love and his mercy and his forgiveness, we are to honor God with everything. In this particular case, he says, with your bodies. In other cases, he's going to say, think about what you think about. Whatever is pure and excellent and lovely. Think about such things. He's going to talk about how we treat one another. Love one another sincerely from the heart. Don't pretend. Ouch. The implication of what it means to be redeemed is that we get to honor God. Which, by the way, my friend, is what you were made for. You were created to honor God. You, you were made by God to, to show how beautiful He is. And sometimes we don't reflect God right, but you can. And now that you're in Jesus and you're full of the Holy Spirit, you will honor God. So he says, live up to the person you already are in Jesus. So let me ask you, have you been redeemed? If not, right now. Like right now. Say, God, I'm enslaved to me and all the evil that comes with it. But set me free, Lord Jesus. I will follow you. And Jesus who already paid the price once for all, we'll see that next week, will apply it to your soul. But for the rest of us, is the trickier question. What does it mean for you to honor God? Like really honor God this week. For some of you in the workplace, it means not being two people. Sunday you and real world you. You are in Christ, now reflective in all things. For some, it's in the relationships, it's in the home, it's in marriage, it's in school, it's in all of life. We are meant to honor God and He's given us the Spirit to do it. The question is, in what area are you called to honor God this week? You can. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to worship God together. We believe that teaching and response are hand in glove. That it's not about hearing truth or hearing something nice. It is about taking it and by the Spirit of God now living it out. And so our response now is to listen. As we're singing, we're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, asking the Spirit, okay, God, as, I, as, I, as I've heard and as I put my heart to you, what do you want me to do at any point when God brings something to your mind? Just give it the test. If it's a voice saying to you, you're never going to do this. Yeah, he's, he's talking about other people. He's not talking about you. Yeah, but you don't know what you did. And, and yeah, God forgives. But look, you can't even get over that. That's the voice of the enemy trying to bring condemnation. You just tell the enemy where to go. I'm in Christ. 
I am new. And he has to leave you alone. This is our chance to respond. So let's do it. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that now we can sing songs of liberty and freedom because you have truly set us free. God, we don't want to just sing words, but we want them to echo the heart that is full of love in response to what you have done on our behalf. Jesus, show us the way to honor you.